I'm excited to give this a try, doing a little bit of Q&A from, from sermons. Uh, here's some questions from really two house rules that we combined. Uh, start with what's right, not what's wrong, and remember what's right as we work on what's wrong. And this first question really is a question around, um, can we lose our salvation? Uh, how do we know if we're actually saved? Uh, this person asked, how do I, as a believer, know that I'm actually covered by the blood? and forgive him for my sin. For example, say I cheated on a test for school and I genuinely feel guilty and ask for forgiveness, but then the next test comes and I don't resist the temptation to cheat again. Does that mean I wasn't sincere in seeking forgiveness because I did it again? Um, is it possible to lose your salvation because of your own actions? Um, this is so, such an important question. We're really asking, how do I know if I'm saved? And then connected with that is, what is the complete work of Christ? What does it do? Um, this is one of the reasons uh, a couple years ago or so preached through First John. First John is a really helpful place to go and look uh, to to really see, um, you know, to test our our confession and test our our belief. At the end of First John, it says that, that uh, the author John he was writing and he says, "I write these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God." that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, the idea of that letter actually wasn't to create uh, worry or fear amongst uh, genuine Christians, but confidence and assurance of their salvation. And so um, I think, you know, there's so many ways you could answer this. Um, simply, I'd be like, we're not saved by the sincerity of our, um, for, you know, request for forgiveness or the sincerity of our behavior or the uh, actions that, that we do, whether we sin or we don't sin. I mean, none of that saves us. It's, it's we are saved by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, and Christ alone. First um, John even begins with this sort of, uh, if you say you are without sin, you're, you're a liar. Everyone sins. Um, and then it goes on and says, but if you make a practice of sinning, then the love of God or how could you be saved? Um, and when we were preaching through that series, one of the things I tried to highlight is there, uh, there's a difference between sinning and not caring um, and sinning habitually not caring and sinning habitually not caring over a long period of time. In those situations, I, th I would suggest it's, it's a good time to at least pause and say, maybe I don't actually believe. Um, Again, we don't want to connect our salvation. It's not Jesus plus the sincerity of our belief or the, or the transformation of our lives that saves us. It's trust in what Christ has done. Um, it's First John 2 says, what's great is, you, you know, if we, we say, or at the end of 1, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then verse uh, 1 of two, chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. The, the hope of the Christian life is that we would grow in godliness and Christlikeness. But, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And First John, again, goes, has this interplay back and forth of I'm writing this so that we grow in maturity, that we grow in Christlikeness. And yet, if we sin, we have an advocate. It's Christ Jesus. Um, and so I, I would say one of the best ways of answering this question of, I feel bad about cheating, but then I do it again. Am I saved? Is to open a book like First John and ask God to, to um, search your heart. Um, lay it across your life. Don't look for per perfection. You know, any of us could look at snippets of our lives and uh, probably lots of them and see a lot of sin. But when you look at kind of like if there was a video of your life, what's the tenor? What's the tendencies? What's the desire? It's like if you want to not sin, if, if you grieve it, if you want to want to not sin, all those I think are really good signs of 
um, of new life. Um, so sit with the with a book like First John, um, and also invite community into this. I think one of the most helpful things we can do is to surround ourselves with other Christians that can help interact with us. We typically will hear a shared struggle and shared burden to battle sin in our lives. Having sometimes we we succeed and a lot of times we fail. Um, but to have other Christians that we open ourselves up to, to be able to interact on that. Um, we go to another question. Uh, is there a time to not start with what's right? Uh, yeah, helpful question for sure. And then this person went on and said, for example, Paul starts his letter to the church of in Galatia by skipping the Thanksgiving and goes straight into the rebuking. And Galatians is for sure a, uh, a, a Paul does come out of the gates and and really confronts this church for drifting from the gospel. Um, one thing I might say though is um, I actually think Galatians still has it still starts with something that's that's right before it even dives into that. In verse three it says grace to you and peace, which is shorthand for the gospel and the result of the gospel. Grace, uh, the good news that God gives us what we don't deserve in peace is the outcome of that, that we might have reconciliation back with, with God. Um, but he goes on, he says, um, grace and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so even there you have this setup of let me remind all of us that, you know, Paul's like, let, let, let me remind everyone that anyone that trusts in Christ, we have one that was given for our sins to deliver us, including all the nonsense that the Galatians were, were getting into. Um, but no doubt comes out then in verse six, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Um, and I would say this house rule, it, it really about a, a heart orientation. And so it's not always, hey, let me you know, you know, basically give you a compliment sandwich. I'm going to say something really good and then really slip in the thing I want to say, which is a criticism and then end with something good. Um, when I think of this house rule, it's just about a way of tuning our hearts as we, as we look out into the world, as we interact with others. Um, I can think of a lot of situations where starting with what's right verbally may not be the best thing to do. Um, you could think in times of tragedy, uh, you know, in places like that, we just sit. Um, in in places of real sorrow, um, we don't have to to um, to I don't know be be overly uh, saccharine. This that's not what this house rule is about, but it is an orientation of our our hearts and part of even for Paul with like the Galatian church. I think there is an orientation as you look at it that. You don't have to desert the the one that called you by grace. You don't have to move past the gospel. Um, as we get further into like chapter three, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Is before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I think there is a sense in which Paul believes that that change is possible, that they can come back to truth, that there can be growth, or else why why actually rebuke anyone? Um, and so I I would say that as we think about this house rule. We don't want to be formulaic always with it. You know, one of the reasons that Redeemer, why we do our meetings, and I do this even in my home where we're processing the day, we try to start with what's right. We want to, we want to be on the lookout for the things that are good, the evidences of grace, um, but it doesn't mean it has to always be formulaic. And so I think there are times to not literally start with what's right, but while maintaining that our hearts might be tuned in that direction. Um, and then a clarifying question on that that was asked by saying, start with what's right. Is it really saying start with the gospel and our adoption in Christ? Um, 
I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's, yes, in some ways. Um, I also think it's like, if you think about the Bible, the Bible starts with what's right. Um, Genesis 1 begins not with sin, um, but begins with God's good creation and God saying it was good. And then humanity gets created and God says it is very good. And so the Bible starts with that. Um, I definitely think the gospel and our adoption in Christ gives us the bedrock, gives us this gospel optimism um, of something that's always right. When Even if everything else is literally feels wrong, um, that is right. But, but again, I think it's, um, you know, the redemptive or this kind of storyline of the Bible is creation and then we have the fall, um, but then we have redemption and then we have new creation. And so there, there is this positive outlook um, ultimately in the work, in the wisdom and will of God and the plan of God and the work of Christ that things will give way uh, to something so much better. It's, uh, I think it's like the end of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia in the Last Battle. It talks about when we when we pass from this life to the next, when we go from here to the new creation, that that this life is just the prologue, and now the the real story is beginning, where every single chapter will be better than the next. And so, um, I, again, I, I'm not trying to push for just a like a blind optimism, but really, like we are hope infused, hope shaped creatures that have a real and lasting hope to look forward to. Um, and then one more clarifying question with this. Is this house rule only for Christians? Great question. And then followed up with this. Do non-believers have anything right? And I appreciate it in the brackets. That sounds way more harsh than I mean it to be for sure. And I think I, I hear your heart, particularly if the only thing or the big thing to start with what's right is salvation, adoption in Christ and all that comes with that. Um, again, I think knowing that Genesis uh, begins with this is good. Um, I think that we could think about this in a number of ways. Like if someone's not yet a Christian and they're still breathing, that's something that's right. There's the possibility of salvation. Um, I, I think about just common grace and, and um, common virtue, the, the things that God has imprinted in every heart, whether Christian or non-Christian, we can identify attributes in people's lives, whether they're Christian or not, that are praiseworthy and good and reflecting of God's good standards and all those things. Um, I'd also say, you know, here's something that's always right with every single person is that they're made in the image of God. That there's nothing more precious in this world that more reflects God than the fact that we're image, that it's us, that we're image bearers. And so, I, you know, one thing that you could probably, for me, I guess when I, I'll make it personal, when I think about like non-Christians, I want to adopt the same attitude, not of, um, skepticism and pessimism and delusionment and despair, um, but to have this orientation that change is always possible, that hope, that, that salvation can be possible, that transformation can be possible, that the imprint of God is on um, everyone's soul, whether they really deny it or they embrace it. And, um, and so I, th I really think, again, I'll just say it this way, this house rule is really about tuning our hearts to the truth that, that Jesus wins um, and that that impacts the everyday stuff now um, as we look forward to him bringing all these things to completion. Yeah, there you go.